Welcome to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, the podcast for all things dwarfy. I'm Jonathan. I'm Tony. I'm Roland. Here we are. Welcome to 2020. The future is now. We're, we're doing it live. You were telling us, Tony, that you have been doing some vanilla Dwarf Fortress work. Yeah, so I was kind of figuring since the new release will come out, and I'm not going to want to wait to try it out, that since I've been so reliant on tile sets and all of the cool stuff that people have done with like Lazy Noob and Mephs packs and that sort of thing, I thought I would go jump into this game in straight up vanilla mode and, you know, using no plugins, no tile sets, only a few modifications to, you know, turn sound off or whatever. And uh, like most people listening will probably agree with, there's a lot of cool stuff still in the game and you don't really necessarily need that stuff to have a good time with it. So I think now that I've stated the obvious, I'd say I think my key challenges or the key things that I miss were at first I missed the mouse support. I loved just being able to click on stuff and not have to fuss with the Q or K buttons to query or weary or whatever it is. So that was kind of a, a downer, I thought. But I've got kind of got used to that. And then the, the last thing that it really is kind of dragging for me is the lack of the workflow plugin, plugin from DF Hack, which I, I guess I'm finding I used a lot or relied on a lot. So, you know, trying to keep them always making enough alcohol seems to just be this continual problem that I have where I always forget to have them make alcohol and then somebody starts going mad and I only realize, whoopsie-daisy, I forgot to do that. So... I guess I've gotten more reliant on having that manager position created and trying to queue up enough things so now I don't have to come back and worry about it. But it's it's kind of interesting because I think that's a good example of where DF Hack kind of changes the game, maybe from the way it was intended to be. So anyway, that, those are just sort of my my kind of quick thoughts on it. But the manager's not DF Hack, is it? No, the no. And so I think game. that's the way that they want you to do it, right? So I yeah. think he's hoping that you'll use managers and not rely on setting these workflow limits in DF Hack, you know, all W or whatever in the yeah. workshop. Because you don't need managers if you do that. I think that's an example of where DF Hack makes things easier, but it also sort of takes us farther away from the maybe what the initial vision was. I don't know. You so. play a lot of uh, vanilla, right? Especially with your mods, Roland. Yeah, I, I have two versions. One is the Lazy Noob Pack, and the other is just straight up vanilla, where I try to edit raws and do crazy things. And I totally agree, because the first time I started it, I forgot that in the real game, there is no mouse control. And I spend way too much time clicking on a workshop and figure and wondering why it didn't just work so yeah the other thing is i usually also use the manager a lot even though i play with mods and with the f hack i think the manager is quite a nice thing and uh DF hack? I don't know if i actually use it that much i mean sure for mouse control but the the whole workflow situation that is implemented in it, mm, I don't know about that. Never used it. It sounds like you two have a have a similar take on it, and that the mouse control is the biggest thing that you miss. I really didn't miss the mouse control that much. I'm doing the same thing. I've got a a couple fortresses that I've done, and I've got one that I'm working on now, like in its fifth year, that is vanilla DF. Except the biggest thing for me 
is the labor management. And I can do it. I know how to do it, but I just can't get over the fact that it annoys me so much that I use uh, Dwarf Therapist. I'm hoping the new release uses the same labor management system so that Dwarf Therapist will still work. The keys, the, the, the lack of mouse support, it doesn't bother me at all. I'm, I don't like the mouse that much anyway. Whenever I'm editing and working with a computer, I'm a keyboard shortcut kind of guy all the way. Yeah, for me, it's just like querying the workshops or whatever, or trying to figure out what something is on the ground. You know, I like just being able to click on it and have her click on a workshop to be able to do it rather than have to hit Q and sort of like move the, you know, have to, because it always, whenever you use Q, it always puts the cursor in a certain position on the screen. So you've got to then scroll up to it or whatever. And it's not a huge deal and I've gotten kind of used to it now, but yeah, that's one of those things where I was like, oh yeah, it'd be, it'd be pretty cool. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to end up preferring ASCII to the tile sets. I still really like the Phoebus tile set. I think that that's been my favorite from, from the start and continuously. I like the fact that the tile sets are able to differentiate more clearly between, for example, one type of stone and another type of stone. It can have mm-hmm. a slightly mm-hmm. different shade where the ASCII doesn't seem to do that as well. But then again, it may just be that I'm not still fully immersed in the ASCII yet. I'm going to continue doing it probably for the next few months until uh, till they get the lazy noob pack updated for the, for the new version that comes out. Yeah, we've talked about Therapist a lot. It's so funny. I, having access to it, I never use it. I mean, I, I really never use it. I I don't find the, the in-game work assignment thing too complicated. If I see that they're not doing something, I just go and find some rando idiot that's not doing anything and just assign them to that job. And then eventually the problem just sorts itself out until somebody dies or goes crazy and then you need to do it again. And maybe that's not as organized as other people play, but it's but it seems to scratch the itch. And then if I'm really feeling like I want to cheat, then I'll use the auto labor enable and DF hack. But I don't need that. Oh, yeah. Um, I played a long, long time with the auto labor because it was... I knew that I had to get into it at some point, but I kept like pushing it uh, and said, well, let's go into military first, for example. And at some point, I disabled it and put them on distinctive labels myself. And then I realized, oh my god, this works so much better. Uh, because now suddenly I got actual good crafts, because not some random animal trainer was supposed to make a wooden chair he never did before and <laughs> and suddenly i had an actual chair dude that would just crank out woodcrafts and he would be legendary in like i don't know two three months and that was amazing and suddenly i saw that um for example if you have somebody that is very good in woodcrafting and he makes a figurine that that figurine is very, very, very detailed. And that hit kind of a sweet spot with me. And I was like, wow. So, so oh, now I, I encrusted everything and I like, like put metals on everything because I want the sweet, sweet engravings and, and stuff on my tables. And I love reading it. And it just doesn't work that great with auto labor. So that's my big reason to do it myself. That makes that makes a lot of sense. 
I think one of my favorite things about Dwarf Therapist, though, is that you can just glance at the grid, and much like Roland was saying, I can just scan down my row of people who have, uh, you know, for example, masonry enabled. And I can look down through there, and I can see that I've got three of them that are almost legendary status. So I can take everybody else off very quickly with three mouse clicks, get everyone off of masonry, and just make sure that those three people are the ones who are doing the work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my artifacts are terrible. Like, here's one. It's called something, and then its name is Risen the Emerald Nations, a copper bed. Sounds like it'd be awesome. And it just says, this is a copper bed. It is studded with copper. The object menaces with spikes of llama wool, morion, and copper. Okay. That sucks. It's a spiky bed. Like, <laughs> it's a spiky bed. Just what you wanted. And every once in a while, I'll get something really cool with, you know, like it'll be a musical instrument. So then it's got more detail. But otherwise, it's like rubbish. So I think you're, I think you got it on something here. Yeah. I, I, moth cell, a willow earring. It is decorated with willow. On the image is... Uh, on the item is an image of a giant narwhal in Willow. Great. <laughs> this this fort that I have now is absolutely obsessed with narwhals. Like everything they do, all their engravings, it's all just narwhal, 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 <laughs> which is kind of cool. But Yeah, I think my best artifact was a uh, lead bed. And uh, <laughs> the funny story behind it was actually my mayor screamed about wanting to have a lead bed. And I was like, how am I supposed to make a lead bed? And um, about two months after he stopped screaming, somebody actually made a lead bed. And I was blown away by it but because I didn't know they could make a bed out of metal or basically uh, anything else but wood. And, uh, of course... Only in an artifact. Hmm? Only as an yeah, artifact. Yeah, and uh, only then I realized they could make it if it was an artifact. And, of course, I gave it to my uh, mayor. And that mayor... Uh, was straight up happy for the rest of his life and never mandated anything weirdly after that. And he he was content. I loved him. Um, <laughs> so that was a great story. Uh, and for some reason, I started to smooth every single tile in my fortress because it just looks very, very neat. Because, you know, uh, if you, you run around in a pre-generated uh, dwarven fort, Every single surface is smooth, and uh, I tend to do that now too because it, it just, you know, looks better and it feels like yeah, I'm actually having a real dwarven fort just like the others on my continent. And it gives them happy thoughts, right? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say yeah. as much. Yeah, and uh, especially if you have like pillars in your uh, tavern, and you not only smooth them but you also engrave them or you let them engraved by uh, somebody that is legendary and engraving and you suddenly have like a marvelous piece of art depicting a, a goddess stroking a dog or something. And <laughs> it's amazing. And they flock to it and they love it. And oh, whew, makes my smart heart a little bit warmer. <laughs> In ASCII, I've noticed smoothing looks good but when you do a lot of engraving it starts looking really messy and kind of clumsy yeah. because it uses a different ascii character for each one like it just looks like software gore almost because yeah. i engraved the side of this wall and now it's just like it just looks like somebody mashed on the keys 
Yeah, sadly, I'm sure it has meaning, but sadly, you can't really engrave many, many uh, tiles that are close to each other because you get the effect of exactly that. You can hide engravings, I'm, but I'm not even sure if that's actually a DF thing or a. I'm not sure, but uh, I tend to only do like single pillars because then it's it's a way, way cleaner look and it doesn't confuse me as much as having the whole tavern floor engraved and you're not sure if there's a dog bleeding out because there's an ogre inside your tavern or because somebody just was very good at a grave. I do have to say that I've warmed up more to the ASCII. A lot of people like uh, Dill Soup and and Alexi and Kiefer will all be happy to hear that that we're warming up more to the to the ASCII because <laughs> they uh, they really believe that, that that's the true DF. Well, you know, Which I guess I think it is. It, you know, well, yeah, but I mean, I also think. I mean, I feel like if the intent of the design of the game was that be played in ASCII, I think there wouldn't be tile set support. So I think the fact that there is tile set support, it's kind of like the Adams guys going, well, you know, whatever, do what you like. Like we did, we did it as ASCII. If you want to do something else, that's awesome. Cool. Knock yourselves out. Yeah. I don't know the mechanism that they use, but yeah, it's pretty awesome that, that they've architected the, man, I did it. I use architect as a verb. I don't like doing that. We'll allow it. (laughs) It's one time. Anyway, they designed the game such that, that so many mods can happen to... to while, the, while the game is fundamentally the same, they're all enhancements, and that's, that's really neat. We wanted to do a deep dive on the dev notes in this episode. Uh, we touched on it a little bit with our meeting last week, but we read the dev notes closely and are trying to to glean between what they talked to us about in the interview that we had and what they released on January 1st in the dev notes, trying to glean what we're going to be getting when they do release it. I was really happy to hear that the release is coming in January because that was my pick in our when is the release coming informal pool that we had. So that was fun to hear it. And I, I had, I didn't, coordinate anything with the Adams Brothers before they came on. That was completely a fluke. There well, we go. if I recall, they actually refused in the podcast itself to, yeah. to give any to say it, yeah. true hint. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah, like as far as like what day in January or? They wouldn't even commit to January in the podcast. Oh, right. Yeah. No, that's right. We found that out afterwards, didn't we? Yeah. Well, maybe they felt like they didn't want to let me down. No, <laughs> I told him I had a lot riding on it here. That was that was what this was. No, but it's cool. So so when in January? What do you think? Beginning, end, middle? It's definitely not the beginning. Definitely not the first twelve days of January. No, no, sadly not. Um, so it already counts as at least middle of January, but I expect it to be around the last week of January. To be honest, there's going to be another Dev Notes if he follows his schedule. Uh, released here in a couple of days. Unfortunately, I, I checked this morning and it's not out yet. But yeah, it'll be nice if he gets it out this week. And, and maybe we'll get a, a better idea whenever the next dev note set comes out. Yeah, for sure. I was imagining like whenever I see January release, my immediate thought is, oh, January 31st. Um, and that's because that's what I would do. 
It looks like, though, that they are going to be holding off on some features because they really need to get to working on the Steam Itch release that was announced about a year ago. That's cool. That's going to be fun. I mean, that's going to be a big thing, I'm sure, for them because, well, you know, we, we saw they were pretty transparent about why they wanted to do it in the first place. So I'm sure that that's still something that's very important. So cool. Uh, yeah, I was glad to see it. And it's going to be exciting to see it. I'm assuming come into Steam this year. It's going to be a big year for for the old for the old fortress. And I kind of wonder if we'll be seeing releases more frequently if it's on Steam because I know they talked about version numbers and how to play nicely in the world of Steam with that. And so, you know, I wonder if we'll have Dwarf Fortress, you know, version 20, version 40, version 80 or whatever. Hmm. It would be interesting, yeah. Also, as soon as it hits Steam, I just assume that more people will more openly talk about it because this is quite a niche, I wanted to say franchise, but it's not a franchise, <laughs> uh, a niche uh, group of people. And as soon as it hits Steam, I guess it will be more come into the, the the light of things. Maybe not. Yeah, I mean, I think there will still be challenges for people with the interface. And I'm imagining the Steam version is going to come prepackaged with graphics, which will probably, you know, maybe draw people in initially. But I, I still think, you know, pending mods or whatever, I think the interface is still going to confuse people. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's, you know, every game's got a learning curve. And I honestly, I don't think this one's that difficult compared to some of the other games out there. Like, I mean, for people playing things like, I guess it's different, but games like Dark Souls. I mean, come on, those games are super popular and they're incredibly difficult. So I don't know. I think there's harder games out there for sure. But I think the interface and just some of the inconsistencies and stuff people might find complicated. This one comes in with a reputation. Uh, to start with, though, because it's it's oh, fairly or not, it has a reputation and it'll be interesting to see once it goes on to Steam. How, well, there's going to be the first initial uh, surge of people downloading it. I'm more interested to see uh, how the how the sales are of it, you know, six months down the road after the initial the initial. Oh, my God, it's on Steam. Uh, and I always say Steam, but it's going to be on itch.io, too. I'm, I don't think they have quite the. The, uh, the following that Steam does, but it's going to be there too. They're, and they probably are more of a better fit for Dwarf Fortress anyway, because it's more of a, a indie, uh, more of a, a indie population on itch.io anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. Um, but I mean, Steam is huge. Like the, just, you can't argue with numbers when it comes to oh, Steam. No, no, no. There's just so many, everybody and their dog has Steam installed. <laughs> everybody and so. their dog. Yeah, indeed. Yep, indeed. that's two copies for every person with a dog. Heard it here first. Sorry, cat owners. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, as I say, oh, what, you know, on that, like, I feel like I've been playing this game now for enough time to think I should know how to do things. But I just learned about fruit and designating an, a zone for fruit picking. I never knew that that was a thing. So as a consequence, I would embark into these places with all these awesome fruit trees and my, I could never figure out why the dwarves, when I tell them to go gather plants, weren't getting fruit, at least not regularly. But then I just started designating fruit areas and it's been amazing, except for the 
one time somebody got stuck in the tree and died up there. But <laughs> now I don't let them pick the fruit from the trees. I let them pick it up off the ground. Yeah, that was that was cool. Like there's there's an interface thing that doesn't make much sense to me, but okay, cool, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, there does seem to be some overlap between uh, uh, creating a zone for for gathering plants, including the fruit, but a zone for gathering and also sending someone out to uh, explicitly gather a plant with a designation menu. Yeah, DP or whatever. That's how I'd yeah. always done it. Mm -hmm. um, too, never, until, until I never recently. really knew about that until I just always thought it was DP. But I guess DP is for a very specific, like, ground plants yeah, or yeah. i don't for for berries on a bush or things that just lay around but if you actually want to pick for example apples you have to make a, a step ladder or wait for them to fall down and i heard about it i saw that there are some things implemented that i just assumed would be for picking fruit but when i actually did it the first time and i saw Somebody using a stepladder, hauling it outside, putting it under a tree and picking apples, going inside and eating a fresh apple. I was <laughs> so amazed by it. I, I sat there and was like, what? Amazing. Why did this guy do this? <laughs> One of the great things about gathering uh, plants and, and with, with a zone is once you set up your uh, your still to automatically repeat brewing from plants and from fruit, you get some amazing concoctions of wines and and beers. You'll have like cranberry wine and and just all kinds of neat stuff that you you wouldn't have thought of. It's it's it ends up being much better than just mushroom beer. Yeah, yeah, indeed. This is also something <laughs> I like to do. Just read about things in the game. I like flavor texts and informatics in the in the details and uh when i see somebody drinking something i have to know what it is and then you see like red amaranth beer or strawberry wine and you you get these ideas of of a dwarf having like strawberry bowl in front of him and like drinking it uh, from a martini glass uh and, and like <laughs> being oh mm, ah, mm. And being like weird about it, and it's it's lovely. It's it's absolutely lovely. And uh, they also get like very positive uh, thoughts about it because hey, now I can eat some strawberry wine and potato chips or whatever. How do you um? How do you see what they're drinking? Um, you can interact with them and then look into their inventory. And for example, if they haul something, then you see the item and in um, brackets hold or holding. And the same works for food. For example, if they go to a table and sit down, it still counts as they hold their food until it's in their mouth. So you can actually see what they're eating. So if you follow them, you can kind of see what they're doing. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You All have right. to stalk cool. the walls a bit and then you can see what they're eating. It's it's super awesome. Oh, yeah. I see it now. He's hauling a mug. Cool. Interesting. Well, there you go. You learn something every day. <laughs> there is a lot to learn in this game. <laughs> How about mine carts? How does everybody feel about mine carts? <laughs> I have no idea. Still haven't ever used one. Nope. <laughs> well, I, that's that's my 2020. Yeah. <laughs> 
um, I tried it. Um, just a simple, simple trail. Just take your minecart there, push it over there, put, I don't know, stone in there, push it back. That's it. And somebody died. I, I don't know how they died. <laughs> they just got mangled by the minecart. And I was like, you just, just push it from A to B. There is not even a hill or a slide down or anything. It's just the, how. Ah, uh, so so like we were just talking about. So I was trying to figure out what this guy was drinking. So I saw that and saw in the thing that he was drinking. So I I toggled him and then I hit G and it showed that his current action was drink and then I just hit enter and it showed that he had Bayberry wine mm -hmm. and his chert mug and so he's carrying around the chert mug and yeah he's got Bayberry wine in it two units which is a lot for. See, you know, see, isn't it awesome if you can or whatever see what they're actually <laughs> yeah. drinking and you go like, oh, you have this drink oh. made from this guy in this mug made from that guy. Awesome. Yeah, and this guy's eating plump helmet roast. That's exciting. Um, that's really cool. Oh, okay, here's a question. I, I'm hoping you guys know, and if you don't know, I, you know, maybe somebody can write a comment to us or, or whatever and tell us, but how do I see, you know, like this guy's eating plump helmet roast where is that in my stockpiles? Because if I go to kitchen, I don't see roasts anywhere. I just see vegetables, fruits and leaves, seeds, drinks, and meat, fish, other. But um, it doesn't show me the roasts. It's supposed to be... The roast is a prepared dish, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. you toggle it with U for the stockpile. And if you haven't toggled it, then it's probably still stocked in your kitchen. I see. Okay. Interesting. That brings up another question that I have. Is there a drawback to just letting things pile up in a workshop? Um, no, 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 I suppose not. But because so I think they work slower, don't they? Well, they... Do they? They, they don't really know where it is or so, but I have no idea. I, I actually don't know, but I just suppose that they would get it quicker from a uh, stockpile instead of going all the way to wherever your uh, workshop is, getting it there, and then going all the way back, you know? See, one of my strategies is to, as soon as possible, get a craft dwarf shop up and have someone concentrate on creating uh, stone crafts. And that way they become uh, more and more adept at it. And before too long, they're making all these wonderful, you know, masterworks of, of craft dwarfship. And they're making them really fast. Well, recently I was doing a fortress and I realized later that I had run out of space in stockpiles to store these craftworks. And whenever I had a caravan come in and I set all these uh, crafts to trade, all of the dwarves for hauling went straight to the craft dwarfs workshop. And it was just a beeline to and from <laughs> the caravan or the, the trade depot to that particular workshop. And I realized if I put that workshop right next to the trade caravan and just have them make it all these all these crafts i might be gaming the system a little bit in which i can pretty much instantly have everything there in the in the uh, uh the trade depot without any hardly time at all for those dwarves to be spending doing the hauling yep. yeah i'm pretty sure it, it it gets a debuff on it after a while i think it's clt or something which i think indicates that it's cluttered and if it's cluttered i think they don't work there or they won't use it or they won't work as efficiently so hmm. i think that you don't want to do that i think you still do want to use 
stockpiles to get it out of the workshops. But I think it, there's pretty high tolerance for how much you can do. You know, if twice a year you clear it out because of the, uh, the <laughs> caravans that come in and sell everything to the elves and to the earth. So the, you know, actually, in, in vanilla, I've not had elves come and, and visit me. I've just had humans and dwarves, hmm. which yeah. I thought was odd. That's odd. So elves are part of Vanilla Dwarf Fortress, the elven caravans? I, I suppose so. so. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen any in mine, but I thought so. Yeah, I mean, I have to say in my vanilla world here, I, I haven't seen any. I don't see a lot of elven worlds in this, or I don't, I don't see any elf villages here. So maybe that, that could be part of it. Maybe the elves are all dead in my, in my, <laughs> in my continent. Could be mine too, yeah. So well, nobody, <laughs> they weren't missed, so. <laughs> Raise a, a, a mug to Rivendell. Yeah, I put a chert mug to the loss of the elves. But I do, in this in this vanilla world that I'm playing, there's a dark goblin fortress with 12,000 population. Mm. How in the heck would I ever start to tackle that? I mean, have you guys ever had any meaningful attacks on fortresses that size? Or is it just, forget it, there's no point? Well, you can... You can't forget it with uh, with uh, just normal troops. There's no way you can do it. But because, let's be honest, your dwarves are trained and very, very valuable. Instead, you can send war beasts with them. So you have just one dude. And to that dude, you assign like a bunch of war beasts. So he goes off map to the fortress and brings with him like an army of beasts. And the larger the beast is, the more terrifying they are off map. So a, I don't know what you can tame, like like the underground beasts, like the big underground elephants, how they're called again. Um, Plump helmet, man. <laughs> no, that's wrong. Something with G. I don't know, I've not G seen these things. Droughter. Droughter. A Draltar? I've not run into these things. Really? Tell me of these Grauton. Uh, Never heard of them. Really? What? No way. Okay, so the description is a large, long-bodied grazer with a thick mane that feeds on the tops of tower-capped mushrooms deep under the earth. And it's almost as big as an elephant, about half the weight of an elephant. So they're pretty, pretty huge. They don't have a trunk, though. They have uh, wonderful fur, and uh, they are grazers, but they are massive, so you can't really keep them because they will die because your pasture is always too small for them. So you can't train them, but you can send them off map. And since they are huge beasts, they will be terrifying monsters in battle. And, uh, I mean, okay, the, the goblins have uh, armor, so that's... Mm. But, for example, I tested it against elves, and as we all know it, elves are a bit uh, weird when it comes to, like, clothing and weapons. Uh, so they got obliterated by my war beasts. I sent maybe ten droughters. It was terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. So that is an uh, is an option of raiding uh, fortresses effectively, or more effectively than just sending like two squads of highly trained dwarves 
because you can breed animals faster than dwarves and animals are less valuable than very well-trained dwarves. Sure. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that makes sense. And okay. So here's another question. Now I'm, now I'm doing some reading, <laughs> which, which I've done before, but now I'm reading in vanilla. So I see the goblin fortresses look like little Korean letters, the little circle on the line underneath it. Um, and then the, the pie symbol, is that, is that a necromancer tower or what? What is that? It says it says it's a dark goblin fortress, but what's the pie symbol? Um, the pie symbol. The pie. Or maybe it's a Russian letter. I oh, oh, oh! I I see what you mean. That is a dark goblin fort, which is different than a pit. Oh, yeah. I see. It's a dark goblin fort versus a pit. Yeah. Ah, okay. Oh, yeah. Look, I see, I see. I've got. I think the humans did kill off the elves in my world. There's the the dark. Oh, I see. And then. A human. Oh, interesting. So I've got, I've got a human tower, which I think it's the large capital I was a necromancer yes. tower, and now it's a now it's a human tower, and it's t loaded with artifacts. This is fascinating. Human, okay, does to, it actually say human tower? It says the human tower of Stoke Blue. That is site government. Hilarious. The scholarly deer. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't know if I can make it to it. It's up in an ice cap, but I might send somebody up to go say hi. Uh, is there a way that you can say hi and not attack them? Like, can I just go up and be like, hey, what's up? Yeah, that is... Diplomatic missions, have we got that? Yeah, in the they, game they, yet, you, is... you have merchants. No, no, not merchants. Messengers? Messengers, thank you. But I need to figure that out. You can only send them to uh, economically linked things by now. I see. I, I think. I'm not a mastermind, okay? So, so don't like take my word <laughs> for granted. Perhaps somebody in the, that's listening will tell us about it. Yeah, yeah. If you guys know how, cool how to like, <laughs> say hello to your sweet, lovely neighbors be without actually bashing them in the head, uh, please tell us. We don't know. Yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> So, necromancers. I had a necromancer that popped up on the edge of the screen. I got a warning that there was an invader that needed to be driven away. So I I sent some a squad up there, but by the time I got up there, he was gone. What is the purpose of a necromancer in Dwarf Fortress right now? Not not considering how their roles are about to be expanded with the new release, but right now if you see a necromancer what do they do? What's their what's their thing? Um, Cause problems. Yeah. I mean, I've had them lead raids, basically. Like, you know, this human necromancer comes in and he's got an army of zombies and they fight. I've had that. Yeah, the necromancer themselves are tend to be a bit, like, easily scared of. So when they stumble to your, into your map without enough support of uh, zombies, then they will just rush off again. Uh, but if they keep coming into your fortress or onto your map, you know that in the next two seconds, there will be a lot of zombies coming. While the necromancer themselves are not a threat to your dwarves because, well, okay, maybe they're uh, immortal, maybe they have picked up some fighting skills, but if you have a fairly young world, it's it's not very...
common that they are good at fighting. And they don't usually have any armor, so a good swing with your sword will kill the necromancer, but it will not kill the zombies. And that is the problem. Uh, the zombies will just rush in, kill your military, and then linger around until you kill them. Because if you kill the necromancer, you basically kill their head. So they don't have any like way to go to because the necromancer is dead and they don't have any leaders to lead them anywhere else but your fortress. Uh, so they just stay on your map, which is bad, I assume. Do your do your dwarves fear them? Yeah, yeah, of course. They are, yeah, they don't like them very much. They are afraid of them because they are undead. And, uh, I mean, if you have, like, a, a, a discipline skill high enough and um, your dwarf is a bit emotionally numbed by specific things, for example, seeing a lot of undead things or dead things in general, then they will not freak out that much. But if your fortress is failing you, you have nothing prepared for it, and then suddenly, like, shambling, rotting undead, will come, your dwarves will have a bad time, even though they're walled in, or you made them, you won, basically, you, you killed all the zombies, they will still have a bad time, because all these zombies will stink everything up, you have to clean it up, and your dwarves will not be happy about that. Cleaning up outside is tricky for me anyway, I haven't really figured out how to clear up, like, you know, if you have a siege right out in front of your fort, I'd you know, there's just corpses everywhere and my doors don't seem to want to get rid of them. So usually the best thing is to, if the corpses are far enough away from your entrance, just let them, like, ignore them. But if they are too close to your fortress, then uh, a random, like, fisher dwarf or woodcutter might stumble over them and will get more bad thoughts. So you have to clean them up. It's somewhere in the orders. Like, is it a small O or a big O for orders? I think it's a small yeah, O. Yeah, current standing order. Doors gather animals, doors gather food, furniture. Yeah, it's somewhere about refuse and stuff. And they uh, and you have to oh, set I it see. Uh, to, to not refuse, uh, to not ignore them, but to claim them. So they will automatically hold them to a stockpile that is far enough away from entrance. Yeah. So is goblin gore considered refuse, or are they considered corpses? Goblins? The, yeah, dead goblins and dead siege um, uh, perpetrators. That is considered both refuse and corpses. So, so corpses is uh, when you have a full goblin, but if it's just like a finger or a blood spattered mashed up foot then it's more of refuse, I think. Okay. But you, you can basically just do a stockpile of various disgusting things outside. At least that's the way I do it. So do I have to worry about this necromancer in particular coming back with a bunch of zombies because he found me? Yeah. Well, Probably. in general, yes. So, but, but if he came in, it already means that there is somewhere a tower like next to your map. Uh, so yes, ah, great. you might have a problem there. You might want to prepare <laughs> a zombie squad. <laughs> Make sure you have friends to, to, get, to get you ready. 
I don't have that many uh, residents. I think I've only got about 30 dwarves in my fortress right now. So. See, you have 40 soldiers. Perfect. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> There's nobody, you know, making brew or, or, uh, or making beds. Well, I mean, uh, I'm... they can fight now and make beds later because if they make beds now, then there's nobody to sleep in later, you know? <laughs> good point. Good point. I have the opposite problem. My forts tend to get quite full. Like this vanilla fort that I have right now is 225, which is... Holy cow! How old big. is it? Let's see, what year is it? I started in 250 and now it's 253. <laughs> what? what can I say? It's a, it's a party. It's a party really? place. Yeah. Wow. Well, you've just... had like 200 migrants in three years? Wow. Yeah. I've like been in five years and I've only got like 30-something dwarves. Maybe it's just a very fecund lot of dwarves that I've brought into the for it. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just babies or how many children do I have? I have 40 children. Oh. That's a lot of children. Yeah. That is one thing that's a little bit depressing about uh, about Dwarf Therapist is that you glance at it and you can see uh, what percentage of your of your population is useless because the, the children their entire row is grayed out by a, like a, a red tinted mm-hmm. uh, bar which tells you that you yeah. can't assign anything to them because because they're they're children and they can't and they can't do you know official work and it's like half of your fortress. Yeah, <laughs> so. great. Well, well, well I'm can you put him in a pit? A bit envious of that because my forts uh, tend to have a small child problem, not in the way of, of overpopulation, but in the very opposite. I have mostly like three childs or three children to be exact. And uh, I don't know. For example, when I played my um, Zombie Fortress Palm Torch, where I just dug into the stone layer and walled everything off, I had I had effectively um, about two months every year where I would uh, start like a festival thing so that my dwarves wouldn't work but stay in the tavern and hopefully make children because I was that underpopulated. Okay, so... Roland, got anything else you want to talk about before we wrap things up here? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. Um, I think I had something because I, uh, I'm, I'm trying to get like all my friends into Draw Fortress. And there was a post on the Reddit about somebody that caged like 30 beasts and, and mega beasts and titans and beasts, And he had like a massive zoo of stuff. And it was amazing. And he, he told um, everybody how he made it. And, and, and he made like a labyrinth where they would go in and he could cage them. And yet like every single cage trap was webbed, which is an, an amazing feat at its own, I think. But uh, then he would just um, chain them up and wall them in so they would stop trying to get out and water in misery basically and yet it was amazing and now he wants to make a um like a beast tournament where he goes around and pits two or three of them 
uh, into a room, seals them off, lets them fight, and publishes uh, what what happened. So like a tournament of gladiator beasts, basically. And um, I showed it to my. Fr- it sounds quite dark. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's and- like it's like cockfighting or dogfighting. <laughs> and I showed it to my friend. <laughs> And I was amazed by it, you know, like, oh, my God, it sounds so good. And he, he was horrified by it because, like, no, those beasts, don't let them fight. They're friendly. And I said, like, no, they're not friendly. This is like a swallow with gouged out eyes that spits fire and eats your dwarfs or something. He was like, well, then maybe it's cuddly. And No, it's not cuddly. It's, it's not a friendly wren, you know? Object testing arena is savage. There's no question about that. <laughs> All right. So I guess we will call it a episode and it's great to be back for another uh, season. I guess you call this. Of we'll, call Fortress. we'll call it a season of Dwarf Fortress Roundtable. And, uh, you know, I'm really hoping that before we have a chance to record another episode, that they will be a release. Maybe not. Maybe it will be afterward, but uh, we, well, as soon as that thing gets released, we're going to be digging into it and seeing what we can find out about it and playing lots and lots of Dwarf Fortress because other parts of our life are less important. <laughs> True. Yes, indeed. Awesome. Well, All right. until next time. Ciao, folks. Yeah, until next time on Dwarf Fortress Roundtable. See ya. Bye, everyone. Bye, Thank then. you. This has been Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, the podcast for all things dwarfy. You can find all our past episodes at dfroundtable.com. Please stop by and leave a comment or suggestion in the comments section for this episode. While you're there, you can subscribe to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable or find us in the podcast service of your choice. Music for this episode is from filmmusic.io. Sky Q. Ellen and Folk Round are both by Kevin McLeod. You can find more music from Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Please consider donating to the creators of Dwarf Fortress at bay12games.com. If you'd like to help support Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, you can find us on Patreon. Links to all of these are in the show notes. This is an Almond Wood podcast. All craft dwarfship is of the highest quality. It is decorated with larch and encircled with bands of almond wood and elkbird leather. This podcast menaces with spikes of larch. On the podcast is an image of Zazet Beach Treaty, the dwarf, and dwarves of basalt. Zazit Beach Treaty is surrounded by the dwarves. The artwork relates to the ascension of the dwarf Zazit Beach Treaty to the position of queen of the Light Helm in 248.